Welcome to Know Your Rights, a Belgian radio talk show about and against racism. Are you a racist? It might be easy to answer this question by saying no, but behind those words you might still have racist thoughts and views. Uh, welcome to this show. You are able to follow this show through the internet via streaming on the Radio Central website as well as through the FM radio in the Antwerp region. We also welcome all collaborations and remarks. It, all input is welcomed. We have an Instagram page and a Facebook page. So we welcome your consciousness and your thoughts about racism. Any complaints, any remarks are very welcome. And in the future we will also host uh, guest speakers that will come talk about racism. Okay, we are going to listen first to a song by the special AKA called Racist Friend. Do you think you have a racist friend? Or maybe there is a little racist person inside of you. Maybe you can think about the song this way.
Okay, that was uh, AK, the special AK with racist friend. Now, welcome to this uh, Belgian radio talk show about and against racism. Um, when we talk about racism, or when you talk about racism, it's important to know what racism means. So a definition can sometimes be helpful. Um, I'm going to talk about some definitions from a publication by ENAR which is the European Network Against Racism. Um, I'm going to talk about a publication called Racist Crime and Institutional Racism in Europe. And this is the shadow report that goes from 2014 to 2018. Now, just a little bit of introduction as to how I came into contact with this publication. Uh, this happened during the Vrouwendag, which is the Day of the Women, uh, which was organized by Furia in Antwerp uh, on the 19th of uh, November this year, as well as on the 20th of November. Um, so <clears throat> there was a lecture by Stella Niangama Okemwa, which was called Decolonizing and Afrofeminism. So the, the talk was called Decolonizing, Decolonization and Afrofeminism. And there I came into contact with this publication as well as with other publications by the European Network Against Racism. Um, if you go to the document, uh, there is a few interesting um, <coughs> definitions. For example, let's go to the main definition, racism. Racism is defined here as an ideological construct that assigns a certain race and or ethnic group to a position of power over others on the basis of physical and cultural attributes, as well as economic wealth, involving hierarchical relations where the superior race exercises domination and control over others. And race, racial justice is the systematic fair treatment of people of all races resulting in equitable opportunities and outcomes for all. Racial justice or racial equity goes beyond anti-racism. It's not just the absence of discrimination and inequities, but also the presence of deliberate systems and support to achieve and sustain racial equity through proactive and preventive measures. So there you have some definitions. And um, later I will go back to the publication and also introduce some cases that are discussed because some of you might experience racism on a daily basis but other people are shielded from racism and maybe don't have the consciousness to understand what racism is really about so we will introduce some cases of institutional racism now i'm going to play um, some other people that are talking about racism they say that Racism is the legacy of colonialism. Let's listen to this. At the end of the day, the decline of the indigenous population due to the horrors of colonialism uh, poses the problem of how do you get labor for the plantations uh, in uh, the Americas. And Las Casas then proposed to uh, kidnap, to bring them from Africa. So the whole system of transatlantic enslavement was on the advice of Las Casas from 1650 onwards, in the 17th century, going into the 17th century, the Spaniards then get competitors, which are the Dutch, the French, and the English. So you have a small group of Western nations who basically did the colonization of the world to organize a world into a superior and inferior part, you need power. You need institutions that forces the other part to become inferior and enforces the superiority, so-called superiority, of the colonizer on the colonized. The first dimension of colonialism is economics. 
where wealth created in the colonized world was transferred to the colonizers world. The second was political, where the colonizer instituted an administration in the colony, run by white people from the colony. The third was social, where social relations were organized on the base of race and ethnicity, white on the top, uh, black and brown on, on the bottom. The fourth was culture, where a new form of knowledge production came into being, where university and universalism and exclusive Western knowledge was seen as superior. The enslavement of the mind, mental slavery, the colonization of the mind. And that is so deep that you accept nonsense as common sense. When somebody goes into a shop and steals a bottle of milk, you call him normally a criminal. But when Columbus goes and steals gold of the indigenous people, they call it a discoverer. And then the fifth is geographical, where a new world civilization came into being. It was not regional anymore, like the Ottomans, or like uh, the Greeks, or uh, like the Chinese. It was not regional. When the transatlantic enslavement and the plantation system in the Americas created this global world economy with shipping and banking and the industries based on the uh, uh, products of the colonies, cotton, sugar, etc. created this world economy. Then they moved on to other parts of the world in Asia, the Middle East and India where uh, 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 new areas of exploitation came to the fore. So you see the colonization of India uh, uh, and, and the rest of uh, uh, Asia taking place in the 19th century. It was global now, connecting every part of the world in one global economic, social, political and cultural system. The legacy of colonialism is racism. A limited view of racism is where you see racism as an individual emotional relations, whereas a white people treats a people of color uh, uh, in a bad way. You have to understand where it comes from. Where does that behavior come from? What institutions have created this mind of racism? And that is a different ballgame. It's a system of human classification which divides the population of the world into supposedly distinctive races and argues that some races are superior and some races are inferior. The criteria to make people inferior are different. It can be the skin, it can be the nationality, it can be religion. From 1492 till 1650, more or less, theological racism was paramount, which means that the argument for superiority inferiority was based on religion. Barbaric, non-Christians were inferior people. Then from 1650 onwards, until 1850, you get the European Enlightenment, with Philosophers with European regard as great philosophers, Hegel, Kant, Hume, uh, Rousseau, Voltaire, Montesquieu, you name them all. Elite white men creating, elaborating, and disseminating racist ideas. I think that the communities of... Okay, thank you for listening to this extract. You might be wondering who was talking and uh, what the context is of this uh, extract. So the person that was mostly talking is called Sandro Hira. And this is an extract from a documentary called The Uprising. And it's uh, made by Pravini. Um, if you check the Instagram of this radio show, Know Your Rights, you will find that there is more screenings of this film uh, coming up. For example, the 6th of December, there will be a screening in the city of Hasselt in Belgium, including Halil Ibrahim Karaslan. Um, let's maybe talk a little bit more about the speaker that we just listened to. Um, he's part of the Decolonial International Network, 
Now, what is the history of the decolonial international network? Um, it is something that started by this person frequently traveling to different countries in Europe to lecture on decolonial knowledge um, called Ramon Gross Fogwell, a professor at the University of California, Berkeley. And he noticed that organizations and individuals in different European countries were working on the same teams along with the same lines without really knowing of each other's existence. And he decided to create a space where academics and activists could get to know each other by organizing a first conference under the name Decoloniality Europe in 2012 in Madrid. Now, if you want to know more about Decolonial International Network, I propose that you go to their website and you can learn more about them. Um, so, as I mentioned, this was an extract from The Uprising, uh, which is a, a documentary by Pravini Baburam. Uh, she's a musician and activist, and she tells the story of resistance against racism in Europe. And it, the documentary includes commentary and experiences from academics and activists. Uh, so the, the artist is a Dutch Indian singer-songwriter who offers a colonial perspective on the anti-racism movement in the Netherlands, UK and France. She doesn't only provide an analysis of the history and legacy of colonialism, but also a vision on strategy for the future of the movement. Now, the way that documentary works is that she introduces these different speakers. Um, they offer a decolonial perspective. And at the same time, this documentary includes music made by Pravini. And now we are going to listen to one song called La La Land. Must be nice living in La La Land, a celebration of the European man, a paradise, a never-ending wonderland, the admiration for a mediocre man. It must be popping when you're the one who sets the tone, the white savior, undeniable hero, when you're the center of the world and you're in control of La La Land. And when
of the things that I realized. Okay, thank you for listening to this song, which comes from the documentary The Uprising by Pravini, a documentary that offers a decolonial perspective on European history and on on racism. So we before we listen to this song La La Land, we heard uh, Sandu Hira, who is a speaker in this documentary, talk about how this geographical region called Europe was the origin of centuries of colonialism and the fact that racism is in a great part a legacy of this colonialism. Um, interestingly, in the documentary, is also spoken about three different phases of racism. So the first phase was teleological or theological racism, um, which then later changed into natural racism, which was um, when thinkers that are uh, seen as, as great in certain uh, educations uh, that were part of the Enlightenment, so for example Voltaire, Hume, Kant, so big uh, philosophers that are, I mean, at least um, seen as interesting to study in Western universities, actually, so they also bear a great legacy of racism. I will now quote um, a part from Voltaire's study, The Negro, I will replace this word by the N-word. Um, so he says, so this is Voltaire, one of the philosophers that is considered a great Enlightenment philosopher in Western universities. So you can see how little attention has been given to this. It may be said that if the N understanding is not of a different nature from ours, it is at least greatly inferior. They are not capable of any great application or association and seem formed neither in the advantages nor in abuses of our philosophy. The petty nations of blacks who have but little commerce with other nations are strangers to all kinds of religious worship. And there is many, many more of these extracts um, to be discovered. I encourage you to go online and um, start reading more about racism and enlightenment, what is so-called European enlightenment. Okay, we are going to listen um, to another song by the artist Pravini. The artist is called Children of the Revolution.
children of the revolution now first of all i want to say um, that in this radio show about racism we welcome every contribution and we are very interesting to hear other people's voices especially voices that normally do not get enough attention uh, do not get enough exposure and chances to be heard um, so please feel free to mail us any suggestions. It is possible to be a guest speaker on the show and it would be greatly uh, welcomed. Now I'm going to read a little case study that comes from the shadow report um, at, that I mentioned earlier in the beginning of this show. So the shadow report um, by ENAR, the European Network Against Racism. So there is a case study uh, that occurs in the Netherlands um, let me just read the story. Petra, a bicultural young woman, wanted to enter a club in Utrecht with a friend in June 2018 and was denied entrance by two bouncers who made racist and homophobic insults. When objecting to the insults, she and her friend were physically assaulted, her friend being hit in the head so hard it resulted in a concussion. Petra stated she immediately reached out to two nearby officers one of whom responded saying, I don't know what to do. After asking another officer for help, the incident was recorded in the Basisvoorziening Handhaving as a declaration and wrongly documented as bar fight and not as discrimination. In the end, Petra decided to not formally file a report as she was doubtful of the effectiveness of doing this. She states, It, the Dutch justice system, is not made for us. We, as LGBTQI people of color, are not important. Why would I go through all that effort if they don't even believe me? Prior experiences of Petra reporting incidents to the police contributed to her decision. In the past, she had reported a total of six other cases to the police, of which only one was prosecuted and brought to court. During the trial of the case, assault with a discriminatory motivation, the judge questioned her experience, stating... I don't think you're lying, but I don't believe you. So this is just one case study. You can find more in the Shadow Report by ENR, the European Network Against Racism. Now, um, we are going to listen to a song that will later be talked about by um, someone who has made a contribution to this um, radio show. And they will you will hear them talking later. They will 
they prefer to be anonymous, but uh, they will give an interesting analysis of the background of this song against racism by Eddie Grant called Gimme Hope Joanna from 1988. for listening to Gimme Hope Joanna by Eddie Grant, a song from 1988. And now we are going to listen to a contribution by an anonymous speaker who has analyzed and done some research about this song. Gimme Hope Joanna is a song by singer-songwriter Eddie Grant. 
an ex-member and founder of The Equals, one of the first recognized and international accla internationally acclaimed, according to the official website of Eddie Grant, racially mixed band in the UK. The band consisted of five members, three of them being the founder, Eddie Grant from British Guianese origin, and Lincoln and Derv Gordon from Jamaican origin. The other two members were John Hell and Pat Lloyd. The band lasted for about 10 years, from 1965 until 1976, their most successful song being Baby Come Back. Grant was born in Plaisance, British Guyana on the 5th of March, 1946. He lived there until his early teens, which can be heard in his music, as he had been exposed to Indian as well as African sounds that are indigenous in Guyana. His musician father then moved to London in a post-war period suburban environment, where Grant would be subjected to the developing pop music scene as well as rock and roll music. This probably drove him to found The Equals, their success sadly taking their toll on his health, resulting in him suffering a severe heart attack and cancelling all his upcoming tours. This is according to his website. He eventually had to leave the band in 1969, but opened his own recording studio that he would keep so that he would keep making music at his own pace. Grant has already made a few songs concerning racism and violence, Electric Avenue being one of the more famous ones. It was a song in response to the Brixton Uprising, or 1981 Brixton Riots, a violent confrontation between protesters, both black and white, and a metropolitan police. It was caused by tensions over, tensions over unemployment, racism, and poverty in the local African-Caribbean community. The most important riot took place on the 11th of April. About 5,000 people were involved and 300 people were injured. Give Me Hope, Joanna is an anti-apartheid song dedicated to Nelson Mandela, who was jailed at that time. Although his song charted first in several countries, such as Italy, Spain and the Netherlands, it wasn't part yet of the anti-apartheid pop music scene, thus not being asked to play in 1988 during a tribute for his 17th birthday of Mandela in the Wembley station located in North London. It would later be asked in 2008 for the occasion of Mandela's 19th birthday. Joanna is an acronym for Johannesburg, which isn't one of South Africa's capitals, Pretoria being the executive capital, Bloemfontein being the judi judicial cap capital, and Cape Town being the legislative capital. But it is the biggest city and economic centrum that has a great influence. It is used in the song to impersonate the South African government. Looking at the lyrics, there's quite a few references that are worth going over, such as the two lines, I heard she makes all the golden money to buy new weapons, any shape of guns, which refers to the Krugerrand. This is the golden coin first minted in 1976 by the South African government and accounted for about 90% of the golden coin markets at that time. Its revenue was used for military equipment, which leads us to another few interesting lines. Sneaking across all the neighbors' borders, now and again having a little fun. She doesn't care if the fun and games she, she plays is dangerous for everyone. The acquired military power was used by the government to secretly influence nearby conflicts in countries such as Angola, Mozambique, as well as Seychelles and Rhodesia. Other lines such as, she even knows how to swing opinion in every magazine and the journals for every bad move that this Joanna make. They got a good explanation, refers to the propaganda machine that the South African government uses to justify its actions. Another line that talks about the Archbishop, who is a peaceful man, concerned Desmond Tutu, a South African Anglican cleric and theologian. He would go on to receive the Nobel Peace Prize in 1984 for his opposition to apartheid. Although, the, uh, although apartheid ended, ended in 1994, after a very slow and difficult process, some feel there is still a certain form of separation. This has been proven statistically by the National Income Dynamic Study and the S Southern Africa Labor and Development and Research Unit. Over a period of 15 years, there's barely been an improvement when it comes to financial inequality. Inequality does not only consist of financial aspects, but 
social aspects as well. In a forum organized by Duke University called Inequalities and the Erosion of Social Cohesion in Post-Apartheid South, Af South Africa, there has been pointed to the fact that interracial social interaction increased right after the end of apartheid, but declined after 2008. Other examples are marriage. Interracial marriage, for instance, is still not as accepted and common like it is in Belgium. The Atlantic says that when it comes to education, it is clear that black students are still disadvantaged compared to their white peers. They are not able to enjoy the same well-resourced and supplemented all-white high school education that have been provided for by contributions from parents and alumni. The post-apartheid or born-free generation has to face the fact that even though they are freer than their parents, they lack the means to take advantage of that freedom. The hope for transformation that would ensure equal opportunities never came to pass. Thank you very much for that uh, very interesting contribution about the song Give Me Hope, Joanna by Eddie Grant and uh, by giving us some background on the racism and apartheid that uh, is related to that song. Um, next, maybe some of you know that in Belgium um, in two days there will be um, certain festivities um, called Sinterklaas um, for which people of color and others um, have long been activists against certain elements of this tradition which are um, deeply offensive to black people um, maybe it was uh, therefore a good idea today to give some attention to voices that um, yeah, consistently um, face abuse over this, this um, racist tradition. So we are going to listen to Jessica de Abreu, um, who is part of Stop Blackface in the Netherlands. She is an anthropologist, curator and activist who studied in Amsterdam. Um, her commitment to the field of African diaspora has led to research on upward social mobility in New York, Amsterdam and London. In the next excerpt, again from the movie Uprising by Pervini, which can be seen for free on December the 6th in Hasselt, a city in Belgium. Uh, please go to our Instagram to see more information on that. So this is an extract extract where we mainly hear Jessica de Abreu talking about Sinterklaas and in particular about the blackface which is still unfortunately part of this um, tradition in certain areas in Belgium and the Netherlands. The communities of color in Holland has made tremendous progress. They have made progress on two big fronts. One is the struggle against black people. What happened a couple of years ago is that there were two artists, activists, who just wore t-shirts during the national parade of, of the Sinterklaas festivity. And they had a t-shirt said, Swarte Peter's racism, and therefore they were brutally arrested. Just by wearing a t-shirt, it's not even that the police came, you know, came over, have a dialogue, or you know, it's a brute arrest. It's, it's connected to violence. Those images of their arrest went viral on social media and that mobilized a lot of people because that was also the moment people said, enough is enough. <laughs> we need to, you know, come together. So I became part of the movement where Swarte Peter's symbol for institutional racism is a political voice to stand up against uh, inequality, discrimination racism in the Netherlands. People came together at demonstration, manifestations. So think about 2011, it started with two people. In 2014, 60 people were arrested because 60 people thought this is not right. And you saw the movement growing because in 2015, over 100 people uh, joined the demonstration. In 2016, around 200 people got arrested for just wearing a t-shirt. In 2017, we decided to go again with buses towards the national parade to use our uh, democratic rights, our uh, freedom of speech, but also our right to demonstrate. However, we were blocked um, on, the, on the highway, the buses, by right-wing people. What surprised me is that 
Nobody was arrested on that day. While there was a huge violation. So how come that people who just wear a t-shirt get brutally arrested and people who block a highway are not arrested? And it comes back to the question, how does democracy look like for people of color in the Netherlands? So take that moment where the highway was blocked just because of short beats. Um, but if you can see now in the public debate what happened, it's not more if Swarte Peter's racism or not, but it has developed into democracy. Now the issues about free speech, the right to uh, freedom of association, basic political rights, ability to have the right to boycott, and I think those issues are winnable. The other is that the communities of color have been able to give political expression to their aspiration through a political party like that, which is now in parliament. Ik denk geen te stemmen aan die mensen die het zal zijn om als tweedehandsburgers te worden behandeld in het land waar ze zijn geboren en getogen. Het was gewoon broodnodig dat er een nieuwe politieke beweging zou ontstaan, en ik zeg heel nadrukkelijk beweging, dus ook van onderop, die, die het gevoel en de emoties van mensen kanaliseert naar de plek waar het hoort. En dat is het parlement, dat is de Tweede Kamer. Okay, thank you for listening to this uh, extract in which we mainly heard Jessica de Abreu talking about uh, blackface and the institutional racism that people who try to exercise their right of protest uh, to to bring attention to the racist elements um, in the celebration of Sinterklaas in certain geographical regions, namely the Netherlands and Belgium. Um, as it involves blackface, and you can see the difference um, to that that the police, um, the difference in behavior of the police against people that try to bring attention to this uh, racial unjust hierarchy, um, or people that uh, merely try to defend the status quo. Um, we also heard Tunahun Kuzu in the end. Uh, who is a member of the political party DENK, which is really interesting as it is uh, from the beginning. This party was founded in the Netherlands as uh, being explicitly anti-racist. So to stay in the <coughs> sphere of of uh, blackface and um, Zwarte Piet and Sinterklaas, um, we are going to listen to a song by Patrick Mathurin, who is also known uh, on Instagram as the newest Sint. And um, this is a black person from the Netherlands who is um, celebrating Sinterklaas by being Sinterklaas. Because um, in Belgium and the Netherlands, Sinterklaas, which is a festivity based on the saint um, called Sint Nicolaas of Mura, uh, is often portrayed as a white man. While actually there is uh, research, university research that shows because the remains of this Saint Nicholas of Mura have been found that documents that the skin color of this um, saint was certainly not the way it is often um, portrayed today or uh, he was certainly not white as... Uh, Many people would say. So we are going to listen to Patrick Mathurin, who can be found on Instagram under, uh, under the name The Nieuwe Sint. So he's a black person from the Netherlands who plays Sinterklaas, which is very interesting. And to some people, it, it maybe can challenge this racial hierarchy, these racist elements in celebration of Sinterklaas. Another figure is called Queen Nicola, who can also be found under that name on Instagram, who I think is a Belgian uh, black person who also tries to make a festivity around the, the celebration of this Saint Nicholas. Uh, the following song is in Dutch. I have a dream. One day, now is the time. Yo, am I speaking with Obama? Yes. Am I speaking with the president? Yes. Yo, Obama, we need you. 
We need you right now. The Netherlands needs you right now. Now Can you help us heal our nation? Yes, we can heal this nation. Can we together repair this world? Yes, we can repair this world. Can we? Yes, we can. Can we make it in the Netherlands? Yes, we can. No, we are not satisfied and we will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Laten we zitten, Nederland kan het weer. Die VOC-mentaliteit. Overgrenzen heen kijken. Die VOC-mentaliteit. Yes, we can. Oké dan. Sinterklaasje, kom maar binnen. Yes, we can. Maar zonder knecht. Kom maar binnen zonder knecht. Er is time dat iemand dit eindelijk zegt. Misschien denkt u, I vote partij vrij. Ik, ik, ik hou niet uit het slavernij. Nou is het aan. We worden samen weer eens trots op Nederland. Laten we samen naar de toekomst gaan. So we listened to a song by Patrick Maturin from 2010. Um, the song is called Sinterklaasje zonder knecht. It's called uh, Santa Claus without helper. Um, if I translate that in one possibly correct way. Um, so this artist Patrick Maturin, he can be found on Instagram under the name The Nieuwe Sint, which which translates as the new Santa Claus or the new Sinterklaas. So he is a black person who impersonates um, Sinterklaas, which is a festivity that will be held in two days in the Belgium and the Netherlands. You, another person of interest is called Queen Nicola, who is a Belgian woman who is also black and impersonates um, Sinterklaas. It might be of interest. Now, one last thing and then this show will be finished. What we will do is we will listen to um, the beginning of a documentary called Kinderen van de Kolonie, which is a documentary that talks about the colonial history of um, Belgium, who has been a colonizer historically. And I think it's not a bad idea to educate um, ourselves more about this because... As we heard in the beginning of this show, racism is in great parts a legacy and a continuation of colonialism. And um, you cannot make um, a judgment <coughs> about whether or something, whether or not something is racist, without understanding uh, the backgrounds um, of of this racism so let's listen to this uh, documentary who is which is available online until february called kinderen van de kolonie
croire comme les Belges. Ils voulaient faire de nous des, 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 des Belges noirs, au fond. Al wat dat wij zeiden was waar. Ik zeg het, wij waren God. La colonisation a été tellement brutale que les gens se sont résignés. La brutalité était très forte. Alors les gens se sont résignés. Congo, een land zo groot als West-Europa, werd door België gekoloniseerd. Vijf afleveringen lang vertellen Congolezen en Belgen over hun persoonlijke herinneringen aan de kolonie en de gevolgen ervan op hun leven. Tango na kukishimbula eh, wita. Ndena mwani mundele penja bien. Epwe, tuza kukima. Siwa mwani mundele ukimi na njamba. Nara ze nog nooit een blanke vrouw gezien. Dus ik had een heel lange vlicht. En dan kwamen ze daar eens aan voelen. Of dat dat wel echt daar was. En ze kwamen aan mijn handen zo eens voelen. Ik voelde mij precies een naap in de zoologie. Zo kwamen ze naar mij kijken. Dat was heel raar. Ze hadden juist uh, een touw, een, een soort oliaan eigenlijk, met, met lapje ervoor. En, de, en die touw die ging door, door hun achterwerk, zo van achter. Uh, ja, heel verwonderlijk als je dat zaagt. Allee, die loopt niet bloot, zeg. Dat was ons ook niet gezegd geweest. Na bota mina Leopoldville, Kinshasa. Toen toe ik om mijn kabel mindele. Mijn je toen toe ik om mijn kabel mindele. Ze pas toen toe ik om mijn kabel mindele. Klaas toen ik om mijn kabel mindele. Banda kwanzambi. On ignorait tout du Congo, mais on savait que c'était dans dans le sud le sud-ouest du Congo et que c'était un pays de steppe. Enfin, on connaissait un peu le Congo. Par nos livres, mais nous ne connaissions pas ni mon mari ni moi. Ils étaient coutumièrement beaucoup plus riches que les Bakongo. Ils respectaient beaucoup plus la coutume. Leur village était magnifique, c'était propre, mais c'était toutes des maisons de paille et de bois. Tandis qu'au Bakongo, on commençait tout doucement à faire avoir des maisons en briques et en, en ciment. Mais c'était un pays que nous adorions parce que les gens étaient extrêmement heureux, pacifique et au fond très très intelligent. Op de koloniale conferentie van Berlijn in 1885 spreken de Europese mogendheden spelregels af voor een koloniale wetloop in Afrika. De Belgische koning Leopold II verwerft een immens gebied in Centraal-Afrika, bijna 75 keer groter dan België. Het is grotendeels onbekend terrein, ook al drijven vooral de Portugezen er al even handel. Er zijn enkele zeer grote koninkrijken met een geavanceerd bestuurssysteem en uitgebreide handelsnetwerken. De inwoners behoren tot honderden verschillende etnische groepen, Elk met een eigen taal en cultuur. Maar verschillende regio's zijn ontwricht door slavenhandel. Leopold II doopt zijn kolonie Congo Vrijstaat. Hij belooft dat hij er beschaving zal brengen, een vrijhandelszone zal instellen en de slavenhandel zal stoppen. Overgrootvader langs mijn moeder haar kant had een heel groot koninkrijk, de koninkrijk het koninkrijk van de Bantibus. Dat was in beneden Congo, Bazaïr, zoals ze vroeger werd genoemd. 
En ja, dat was een hele cultuur op zich. Ze hadden een eigen 